0: It's Wednesday, June 7th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, gas prices, well, they're going up. That is the forecast from a new U.S. government report that came out yesterday. So we are going to talk about that plus the reasons for why. Second, America's immigration fight continues to bubble up all around the country with news this morning from New York, California, and Florida, where we have allegations of kidnapping by the governor of that state. More on that shortly. Third, I've got three critical updates for you on the war in Ukraine from the breached dam that we talked about yesterday to some spy-killing drones in Moscow, to who's actually responsible for blowing up the Nord Stream pipelines that happened last summer. That's all coming up. Later, we close out the podcast with a personal request, folks. It has to do with the future of the Wright Report and how you can help me shape it. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. The U.S. government announced yesterday that prices at the gas pump, well, they're probably going to go up. So here is what we know and why, based on reporting from CNN and Morningstar Research. On Monday, the oil cartel OPEC Plus announced a cut of about 1.4 million barrels of oil per day. Now, the biggest cut would come from the country of Saudi Arabia, which plans to slice around 1 million barrels per day just on their own. And that plan by the Saudis is going to start on July 1st, lasting for at least one month, but possibly extending throughout the summer and fall. Now, the Saudis are doing this because they would like to see oil prices go up to at least $87 a barrel from the current $75, give or take. Although they would really like to see that number go higher yet, closer to $95 a barrel. And that's because the Saudis have billions of dollars of domestic spending to pay for on things like updated airports. They're working on some of their downtowns. And they've got a project called The Line. It's a 100-mile-long skyscraper. So, to make themselves some money, the Saudis are cutting supply, hoping the barrel prices will go straight up. So what does that mean for you? Well, the U.S. Energy Information Administration said yesterday that in the short term, there shouldn't be much of an impact at the pump, a few pennies per gallon of gas, but by early next year, you should look for upward pressures on prices to be around 10% per gallon. Now, interestingly, the Saudis and oil analysts are saying that they're not so much worried that American oil producers might step up and pump more. Now, there's a few reasons for that. But most especially, the market expectation is that the Biden administration will limit any material expansion of U.S. production, all because of their commitment to solar and wind power. So as ever, I will keep an eye on this and watch for additional changes to global oil supply and demand, especially in China. China. Because as of last year, the Chinese were the world's largest importer of crude oil products. With that, let's move on to our second brief this morning. We've got updates on America's immigration crisis to talk about. And it's prompted by a report that came out yesterday of Biden officials claiming some pretty big drops in the number of illegal migrants crossing the border since they abandoned the immigration rule known as Title 42. But before we get to that, let's start with an update in New York, where, according to the New York Post, the city mayor, New York City Mayor, Eric Adams, is planning to shift illegal migrants from hotels to religious locations, like churches and mosques, and then, eventually, to private homes. But before we get to that plan, which was announced on Monday, I want to remind you of this fact. There are about 50,000 illegal migrants and asylum seekers currently in New York City. Now, that has been a very expensive burden for that city. Mayor Adams claims that he has spent about $1.2 billion so far on supporting these illegals. And he anticipates that he is going to have to spend another $4.2 billion or so in the next year on things like free food and free medical care and free housing. Or as the city's management and budget office has said, that comes to around $380 per migrant per night. Well, Mayor Adams wants to lower that nightly figure to around $125 per night. And the way that he thinks he's going to do it is by first getting these illegal migrants out of hotels to faith-based locations like churches and mosques. But then he wants to sign up private citizens to house migrants, offering them, well, $125 a night for the trouble. Well, so far, the mayor has secured about 50 religious locations that have agreed to host around 20 migrants or so each night, by the way, all single adult men. And now he's working on the next step of that plan, which, of course, is to house these single adult men in private homes. And there are some city rules that he's going to have to get around or juggle, but he plans on moving forward with this private placement as soon as possible. So that is the latest out of New York City with single men moving into private homes. I'm sure nothing will ever go wrong with this plan. All right, with that, enough sassiness, let's move on to, uh, well, California, specifically the city of Sacramento, where leaders there are saying that migrants are being sent to their city without the illegal migrants actually consenting. And it is all because, the allegation goes, Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis is tricking them into travel via kidnapping. So here's that story as reported by the LA Times and the Washington Examiner. So last Friday, a group of 16 illegal migrants were flown on a charter jet and released at the Catholic Diocese in Sacramento. they had actually started their journey when they crossed over illegally in Texas. Then they caught some buses to New Mexico and then a mysterious flight to California. Now, there was some confusion as to who had actually chartered this flight. Uh, City officials in Sacramento weren't sure. Well, then again on Monday, another chartered flight landed in Sacramento, and this time it dropped off 20 more illegal migrants. But by that time, officials had a little bit better idea of exactly what was going on. According to California's Governor Gavin Newsom and the state's attorney general, The migrants had documents showing that their flight was arranged through the Florida Division of Emergency Management, right? And that agency actually has a program to relocate migrants from all around the country, not actually just in Florida, but including states like Texas. And it sends these migrants to places that they say they want to go to, like California. Although that's not how Governor Newsom sees it. On Monday, he tweeted out that Florida's Governor DeSantis could or should be charged with kidnapping for these flights, as Newsom says that some of these migrants did not consent or were confused by what was happening before the flight out of New Mexico. Well, late yesterday, Florida Division of Emergency Management responded to that allegation by saying, look, yeah, the state was behind the flights, but the quote, Florida's voluntary relocation is precisely that, voluntary through verbal or written consent, these volunteers indicated that they wanted to go to California, end quote. All right, well, as those two states, Florida and California duke it out this morning, let's take a step back and look at the border itself with an update to the brief that I gave you back on May 22nd. All right, at that time, the Biden administration claimed, well, victory really, for reducing the number of illegal crossers, down from 10,000 a day, to 3,000 a day. Obviously a 70% decrease, they said. Well, this morning, they're repeating a pretty similar claim. The Wall Street Journal reported yesterday that Biden's team has fresh numbers about the border, showing that there are, well, the number is around 3,400 illegal crossers a day. That's obviously up just a touch from 3,000, but still way down from 10,000. But as I shared with you back on May 22nd, that 3,400 a day, is still going to be over 1.2 million illegals annually. And that is far higher than the historical average of 400,000 a year from the years 2010 to 2020. So those are the latest facts and data this morning on America's immigration crisis. I'm going to hold off on my opinion and analysis on this and instead wait to see what happens to the other issue that we discussed back on May 22nd. And that is this. There are 62,000 illegal migrants who are parked in Mexico this morning, and they're waiting to see how these new Biden immigration rules shake out. Well, depending on what they decide, it is going to shape whether this situation goes from bad to worse or just really, really bad. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners. And then in about a minute, we'll be right back friends i'm excited to tell you about ark seed kits like noah's ark and here's why i'm excited on the right report we talk a lot about two things we talk about your pocketbook and how to save you some money we also talk about preparing for global events like how we could find ourselves at war in asia well with ark seed kits you can address both of those concerns at once the all-in-one seed kit helps you grow your own food for life it has over 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables, sprouting from 50,000 heirloom seeds. And let me tell you why that is so important. Heirloom seeds last year after year. Each crop helps you grow the next. But that's not true of 95% of most seeds that you buy. Those last only one year. That's why heirloom seeds from Ark Seed Kits are so great. It's a lifetime of food security. So go to arcseedkits.com, again that's ARC like Noah's Ark, and buy your heirloom seeds today. And if you do, make sure you use promo code Right, like my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T, and that'll get you 10% off your order. So go to arcseedkits.com, promo code WRITE, and invest in good food and a bigger wallet for life welcome back to the right report let's continue with our briefs this morning with a pivot towards international news and our focus this morning is on the war in ukraine with three key updates about first that destroyed dam that we discussed yesterday plus second a drone attack in moscow turns out it was targeting russian spies and third the bombing of the Nord Stream pipeline last summer looks like we have a new suspect to talk about but before we begin, if you're looking for a new reason to care about, well, this ongoing war, how it could affect you and your family, well, here it is. Wheat prices shot up yesterday. Same too with corn. And that's because when the dam burst, it flooded crops and likely ruined some farm ground for decades. So let's talk about what we know this morning as reported by BBC News, Reuters News Service and U.S. News and World Report. And we start off with the latest on that ruptured dam near the city of Nova Kakovka. The number of dead is unknown at this hour, but some 80 villages have been completely wiped out. Around 40,000 civilians have fled, and the key city of Kherson has been flooded in many neighborhoods. Now, to give you a sense of how much water we're talking about that's being released, the dam holds back a reservoir about the size of the Great Salt Lake in Utah. So that's how much water we're talking about that is quickly evacuating itself downstream, causing a shocking amount of flooding and damage. Meanwhile, the canal system that tapped into that reservoir and provided irrigation to farmers, especially to the Russian-controlled Crimean Peninsula, well, those canals are dropping to a trickle. That is according to the Russian government, who took video of that yesterday. And speaking of the Russian government, the Kremlin blamed Ukraine for the dam's destruction because allegedly... Ukraine's forces were not performing well in the northern part of the country and they wanted a little distraction from the news cycle. Meanwhile, President Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine said, that's a bunch of hogwash, that it is Russia who is to blame, labeling the dam breach, uh, quote, the largest man-made environmental disaster in Europe in decades, end quote. And he's certainly right there We have reports of at least 150 tons of oil that were somehow released when the dam ruptured. There are also decades of chemical and other pollutants that had accumulated on the reservoir's floor that are now spreading across thousands of acres of fertile farmland in what is known as Ukraine's breadbasket, right? It is home to its many exported acres of wheat and sunflowers and other ag products. And because of that damage from the flooded crops to a future of polluted soil, Well, commodity prices jumped yesterday, as I mentioned earlier, for both wheat and corn. Now, I should note that wheat prices in particular were pretty jumpy yesterday and over the past week because of some additional news out of China and Australia. Now, more on that in future briefs, but just for now, you should know that both of those countries are experiencing some bad weather, and that is limiting their production, which of course means tighter global supplies. So all in all, ladies and gentlemen, we are looking at a global fallout from this damn breach and this war, frankly, not only because of military concerns, but also from an ecological and agricultural perspective too. With that, I have two more Ukraine-related updates for you this morning, and let's get now to the second one, and it has to do with a drone attack that happened in Moscow. To refresh our memories, last Thursday, I briefed you on a Ukrainian drone attack that occurred on a residential building or set of buildings in Moscow. Now, that attack was the first on civilian uh, sites in Moscow, and they were focused on an exclusive neighborhood of the country's political and military elite. Well, according to NBC News, the neighborhood was a little bit more uh, well, special and elite than we first knew. It is also, ladies and gentlemen, home to many of Russia's spies, right? One of the condo towers that was hit is tied to Russia's foreign intelligence service called the SVR. The tower is also apparently owned by an organization that helps provide cover for the SVR and its personnel, plus a military unit that is also associated with the SVR. So I'm going to be watching for the spies and their reactions to that targeting of their homes. It's a pretty clear message, both sent and received. But the third and perhaps biggest update this morning is on the sabotage of those Nord Stream pipelines. As listeners may recall, those two natural gas pipelines delivered Russian natural gas to European buyers. But last September, they were bombed by unknown assailants, damaging three of the four pipelines and putting a pretty firm end to any hope that Russian gas could be turned back on anytime soon for European homes and businesses. Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to who did it. You know, Western governments were blaming the Russians and the Russians, well, they were blaming the Americans mostly. Well, it appears that everybody should have been blaming the Ukrainians. So here's that update, as reported by the Washington Post, who used some leaked intelligence reports from the Pentagon to base their reporting on. By the way, you may recall that these reports first appeared on social media sites throughout this past winter and spring, these intel leaked reports. And they were, in fact, leaked by a U.S. National Guardsman who is now under arrest for sharing the intel. All right, with that caveat, let's go back, ladies and gentlemen, to late last spring or early summer. It was at that point that a human intelligence source, a Ukrainian national, apparently went to some European country, we don't know the name, and they shared this following plot. Right? A small team of Ukrainian special forces, six divers in all, planned to rent a boat and set sail for an area just above the Nord Stream pipelines. They would then dive, plant explosives, and depart pretty quickly before the pipes would explode. Now, the plan was hatched by Ukraine's military leaders, specifically the commander of the Ukrainian Armed Forces, a General Valery Zeletskiny. And now listen to this. None of these men, including the general, were going to tell their commander-in-chief, President Zelensky, right? The plan would remain secret, even from him, all to give the president plausible deniability when it eventually happened. Well, when this unnamed European country got this tip from this Ukrainian source, they pretty quickly gave it uh, to the Biden administration, which had the CIA and NSA evaluate it. right? That was mid-summer, right? Early June of last year, well before the actual attack. Well, the CIA apparently had some misgivings about the source, but regardless, the Biden team got permission to share it with the rest of its European partners, to include the Germans. That was all before the operation eventually took place. Well, in the midst of this intelligence sharing, somehow Ukrainian military officials learned that their plan had been leaked. So they changed some key parts of the operation, including the demolition date, right? That went from June to September. Well, blow up the pipeline. They certainly did. Now, I should emphasize that once again, this report is coming from The Washington Post, which, based on my experience, has a very long history of being the media outlet of choice when the CIA or other intelligence agencies choose to leak information, right? And these agencies do that, usually in order to shape public perceptions or to deflect attention, So we should absolutely keep that in mind this morning as we consume this latest news about culpability of the Nord Stream's destruction. Well, regardless, ladies and gentlemen, that is the latest out of Ukraine this morning, where, just to recap, we've got a busted dam, some spy-killing drones, and a pipeline that was blown up probably by the Ukrainians, although we're not exactly sure. But regardless, what we do know for sure, is that this war in Ukraine is growing more complicated, more expensive, and more dangerous with every passing day. With that, let me now pivot away from facts and data this morning to one final piece of opinion and analysis. So for those of you who have been with me for a while, you might remember me talking to you, I think it was last October, about something that I called the tail wagging the dog. But to refresh our memories on this idea, this idiom, you should know this, folks. All countries, of course, have alliances, most especially during times of war. Now, normally, there's a senior country or a senior partner, like the United States. And the alliances are full of smaller or junior partners, say, like uh, Ukraine. Now, normally, the power dynamic plays out as you would expect. The senior partner takes the lead and the junior partner follows. In other words, the dog is wagging the tail. But sometimes the small country manages to gain leverage over its much larger and stronger partners, outfoxes them somehow. When that happens, we say that the tail, the junior partner, is wagging the dog, the senior partner. And when that happens in international affairs, most especially in military alliances, that gets really dangerous. And that, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, is what we're seeing in Ukraine as I've discussed with you over the past many, many months, but most especially over the past nine weeks. For instance, the U.S. has told Ukraine, do not bomb inside of Russia. Well, Ukraine did it anyway. The United States apparently told them not to use our weapons or material to bomb inside of Russia, and, well, they did it anyway. And my guess is, we probably told them not to bomb Russia's natural gas pipelines last summer, but Kiev did it anyway. So why is that? What leverage does Ukraine have over the U.S.? Right? How is it that Zelensky can control Biden? Well, no conspiracy theories necessary here. Pretty straightforward. The White House has said over and over that we are with Ukraine for however long it takes, giving them whatever it takes to win. And we followed through on that billions of dollars in aid and material announced each month. But by doing so, by saying that we are going to be with Ukraine for however long it takes, no matter what it might take, to include no matter what Ukraine might do, we've turned over power to Kiev. We've given ourselves no room to exit without looking pretty pathetic and weak. Now, to be fair, we're not alone in that. European governments are saying the same sort of stuff and doing the same sort of thing. But to be very clear... Collectively, we have given Kiev control of the war. We have let the tail wag the dog. And just to emphasize, that is incredibly dangerous. Like, Zelensky and his team will increasingly do whatever they want because they can. And look, I don't blame Zelensky at all for doing this. He is playing his hand very well. But if this escalates out of the control of the Washington, D.C. folks and European capitals, frankly, as it appears as though it is happening this morning, it means, ladies and gentlemen, that the rest of us are likely to pay the price for whenever or however Kiev wags the American dog. And just to state the obvious, ladies and gentlemen, when I say that we are going to pay the price, that means you and me and any of our family or loved ones who currently serve in the United States military. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break and we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. I've got a request and I don't do this very often. In fact, I don't think I've ever asked for anything like this, but it is so very important to me because it is going to shape the right report for months to years to come. So here's my request. I need you to take a few minutes today and do me a favor. In the show notes for today's episode, and I believe on Monday and Tuesday as well, there is a link for a listener survey. And if you click on it, It's going to take you to a website that says, Write Report Listener Feedback. It's about seven minutes worth of questions about, well, what you like about the podcast, what you don't, and a little bit about you. Now, to be very clear, it is anonymous, so you don't have to give me your name or email or phone number. So here's why this survey is so important to me. I'm going to do two things with the results. First, it's going to shape what I do next with this podcast. So, for instance, I'm considering that afternoon edition I think I've mentioned to you all previously. It's going to be a little less formal, a little less uh, scripted. I'm also thinking about a Saturday program where I uh, interview experts, specifically folks who disagree with me. And finally, I'm looking at a Sunday program that, well, I'm not going to give away too much, but it's going to involve elderly Americans who give us wisdom and counsel in this world that seems so upside down sometimes. Going to inspire us and encourage us for the rest of the week. Meanwhile, the other thing I want to do with the survey results is this I want to take your responses of who you are, again, anonymously, and share that with potential advertisers or supporters and sponsors of the program. And here's why I keep getting asked by companies about who my listeners are, and I don't know. Uh, Well, I don't have any data to offer them. So without that information, it's been. Candidly a little bit of a challenge to find companies to financially support me to deliver uh, this podcast to you free of charge. So friends, if I can ask you for this favor, please do consider giving me a couple minutes of your time today. Go to your podcast platform, uh, of course where you get this show, right? Click on today's episode and go to the show notes, right? Find that survey link should be right at the top. You'll click it and within a couple minutes you'll be done and you will give me a pretty wonderful gift, data, knowledge, and a path forward for this podcast, both financial and creative. So thank you. Thank you for considering. I am absolutely indebted. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing, Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Tax Day is coming. Oh, no.